Hello. Hello, this is very weird. It is weird because for the first time since we started doing this podcast, we are recording in the same room, not just across the computer. It's very surreal. And also because the computer is still only showing one person. <laughs> so yes. I'm like a ghost talking to you from beyond. Yes, but this is progress. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I feel very hungover this morning, having drunk nothing last night. So what's made you hungover? Meat. Meat? meat i experienced the meat sweats from a meat restaurant i went to last night with some friends where they bring you meat throughout the night i think meat sweats are the only acceptable kind of sweats yes and the thing is we had a late table booking which meant that halfway through they were still bringing us loads of meat but they were clearing the salad bar and everything that goes with it so by the end <laughs> we were literally just eating meat i mean that's my dream i apologize if you're vegetarian or vegan listening to this this restaurant does have vegetarian options but I've never seen them need it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've woken up feeling like I'm hungover. This is what our ancestors would have felt, you know, in caveman days. Yeah, I'm it's totally worth it, by the way. I'm not complaining. This was self-inflicted. It's totally worth it. You know, when you have, maybe you don't, I don't know. But you know, when you have a hangover and you're like, yeah, but the night was worth it. So I'm mm -hmm. okay. That's where I am. I don't think I've had enough meat in a meal, by the way, until I cry tears of gravy. That's the optimum. It was a really lovely evening made a little bit weird by the fact that the waiter came over quite early on and recognized me and did that kind of, Ooh. Are you, are you, are you Philip? And I thought, oh, he's seen one of my comedy videos online, or maybe he's been to a gig pre-lockdown, very exciting. Uh, but no, uh, turned out what it was is he used to go to a Jewish school mm -hmm. and in one of my part-time roles, I teach sex education in these Jewish schools oh. <laughs> and he had remembered me from that. And I got quite panicky at that point. What, how do you make small talk with someone who you taught puberty to, you know, right? and the only thing I thought to say was, so how's your sexual health? <laughs> And how was it? What did he say? His answer was non-existent, which I think means he'd misunderstood the question. <laughs> uh, my friends had good fun at my expense. Then later on, one of the other waiters started making small talk with our table and talked about the lockdown and how it's affected work and things like that. And then said something like, I guess you guys have got really interesting jobs. Looked at me and said, I mean, I know what you do for a living. I was like, that's not what I do for a living. <laughs> It's something I do just to pass the time, earn a bit of money, and educate children. So that's my very odd evening that I had. Uh, what else has been going on this week? Oh, we made a long list. We made the long list of the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Awards. Ooh. And it's supported by BBC Sounds, and we would absolutely love it if people who enjoy the show could vote for us. And all you need to do is go to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. And if you vote by midnight on the 4th of July for Jew Talking to Me, then it might help us make a shortlist, which would be very exciting and bring pride to our families, despite the fact that we've chosen not the standard careers for Jews. So whilst you're deciding whether or not you think we are worthy of an award, why don't you sit back and enjoy this week's show? This episode of Jude Talking To Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Hello, I'm Philip Simon. And I'm Rachel Krieger. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox and I get my gefilte fish online. And I'm Reform and I've got no filter online. This show is the audio equivalent of Kiddush wine. Sweet, intoxicating and your grandma loves it. In each episode we chat to two of our favourite Jews about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they Instagram or call your gran, she misses you. Welcome to Jew Talking To Me. 
Let's introduce our guests. First is Annex Superhead, founder of International Jewish Festival Limud, and has more recently launched Sitsit, the world's first Jewish fringe festival. It's Alistair Falk. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi, Alistair. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I really appreciate being on here. It, it means I might actually listen to it afterwards, so that'll be fantastic. <laughs> That's how we're going to get our entire listenership, one at a time. I have listened and I love it. It's fantastic. It's, it's one of only two podcasts that I listen to, so it's really cool. What's the other one? It's called Muslim Talking to Me, actually. <laughs> 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 thought balance would be quite important. It is good. Oh, how 2021. <laughs> Regular listeners to the podcast will know that we always like to find out how our guests self-define as Jews. So you already know that I'm Orthodox of Philip's Reform, but Alistair, what kind of a Jew are you? Well, that's always a tough one, isn't it? So at the end of lockdown, certainly overweight and ageing Jew. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I guess I'd say I'm definitely ritually Orthodox and culturally, well, as we say in Tzitzit, it's Jewish enough for you, it's Jewish enough for me. Fundamentally, though, probably a provincial Jew. So I grew up in Sheffield, where walking to shul made you very religious and walking to shul in the rain meant you were a religious fanatic. And some of that's <laughs> definitely stayed with me. So Alice, you grew up as a Jew in Sheffield, but that's right. uh, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you more recently? Well, at the moment, I have to be honest, I'm a bit drowning in Jewish things because, as you mentioned, spending a lot of time putting together this uh, Jewish fringe idea. And given our criterion, if it's Jewish enough for you, it's Jewish enough for us. It means a lot of stuff which is coming in under the title of Jewish, some more obvious, some definitely more obscure, like cross-dressing, 19th century Yiddish theatre troops and some just plain you what so the most curious thing that's happened to me recently is certainly looking at other people defining what they think makes something Jewish. Well at least we know that this show is Jewish enough for you. Let's bring on our next guest it's journalist, agony aunt and novelist Hilary Freeman. Hey hello. Hello Hilary how are you doing? Good. Hilary you're looking a bit cagey are you okay? I'm hiding from my daughter in the bedroom. And also you're coming to us from a riverboat. I am that... I live in a wide beam houseboat in um, Limehouse in the East End. That sounds very exciting. That is literally my dream. <laughs> it might be your dream until you have to empty the poo tank. <laughs> I mean, just so you know, to help you feel better, people who live on dry land also poo. You don't have to pump it out. Well, it depends what I've eaten. I mean, if I've had the chillant. <laughs> when I go to a public toilet now, the thrill I get out of just flushing is just amazing. <laughs> this was so not the podcast I was expecting. No, it's my fault. I've taken us down a path that needs to be redeemed. Hilary, why don't you tell us what type of Jew are you? Going off what Alistair said before, I can sum it up really by saying that I was once so firm that I walked 12 miles in the rain to Shul on a Shabbos morning for somebody's bar mitzvah. 12 miles? That's like a Jewish marathon. Yeah, from Wembley to Boreham Wood in the rain all the way. But I haven't been to Shul for 30 years. I'm not surprised with a commute like that. <laughs> That's kind of the Jew I am, really. <laughs> I take it to extremes, all or nothing. I was brought up United Synagogue, kosher home, went to B'nai Kiva, went to synagogue every week, went to Jewish primary school. And then when I went to university, I kind of went completely the other way and became an agnostic and now I'd say I'm pretty much a confirmed atheist but still very Jewish. Wow. I've written quite a lot of stuff about being Jewish and of course you know being an agony aunt. Agony aunts are traditionally Jewish you know it's a very Jewish thing to do to be 
like the giver of advice, a wise woman. Well, I'm not wise, but supposedly wise woman who, who helps people. And that's kind of passed down in tradition throughout kind of Jewish history. So being an agony aunt is kind of something quite Jewish. Like interfering in other people's lives. That's pretty Jewish. Well, yeah, that's what being knows. Yeah, being, being a journalist, being just wanting to know about other people. This is the thing. So you, you're all performers and I'm kind of an observer because I'm a journalist. So I'm a writer and I kind of listen and watch people rather than performing. Being, so. being a journalist is actually very Jewish in the sense that in the 19th century that's what lots of Jews became because it was yeah. an easy open profession. Yeah. Well before we get into a whole discussion about Jews controlling the media, Hillary, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you? To be honest the most Jewish thing that's happened to me is, is pretty trivial. Just that I think probably the most Jewish thing about me is my hair and I'm constantly trying to find products that work for my Jufro and <laughs> failing miserably. I've spent probably thousands over the years importing stuff and one day I was bored and I just googled products for Jufro and this product in America came up called Kosher Curls and the bottles are designed with Hebrew style writing on them and Yiddish <laughs> all over them and I thought well I've got to try these so I emailed the company and they were brilliant you can imagine they were like you know Jewish Americans and they gave me a discount of course and um, they're going to make me their UK ambassador so wow. Oh. I just advertised their product for them. They should they should give me another discount. They should. The Jufro ambassador to the US. <laughs> now we should ch- go back to the beginning and change your introduction and be like, our next guest is journalist, agony aunt, novelist and ambassador for Kosher Curls. <laughs> Does it have kosher certification? I want to know there's a stamp on it from a rabbi. Oh, I'm not sure that it does, actually. It does say you don't have to be Jewish to use it. (laughs) Ah. Well, just in case, why don't we do a quick soundbite of welcome to Jew Talking to Me, brought to you by Kosher Curls. (laughs) <laughs> you said it's trivial but as i'm married to somebody who grew up with a jufro i don't think it's trivial at all i think for those of us who have jewish hair and mine is kind of a lot flatter than it used to be because it's under a headscarf all the time but i also have unruly jewish hair i think these are things that are sent to make our lives better exactly and i'm going to create a new blessing for it <laughs> Well, we've all struggled through lockdown, whether it's our hair or just life in general. And we know these are very trying times. So we always like to check in with our guests and ask, what's the matter, Bubbler? So, Alistair, what's going on with you at the moment? Well, I mean, lockdown for me, work-wise, was really interesting because for a very long time, I hadn't really been in touch with anything very Jewish. And this week I went to my first Jewish online event in a long time. I mean, you could tell it was a Jewish event because they thanked at some stage a remarkably large sounding organising committee, you know, short of giving them flowers. That was just endless. <laughs> but what really bothered me was the way that people kept using the word inspirational. And I'd forgotten how in the Jewish community everybody's always described as inspirational. It's like when rabbis preface what they say, it's one of my wife's pet hates with, this is a beautiful idea. Or this is very deep. And she always says, why don't you say it and then I'll decide whether it is or it isn't. So I kind of feel the same way about inspirational because in every Jewish education event, and I've really forgotten this, and every Jewish education speaker, they're always inspirational. And you kind of leave feeling, if these guys are so inspirational, how come we're in the state we're in? Where actually most of it is just really bad quality. I have to tell you that whenever I hear the word inspirational, my brain follows it immediately with muppetational. Inspirational, oh, inspirational muppetational. muppetational. No, you're right. Very good. Yeah. I've now got um, the other song going through my head that's similar to that. Was it Roy Castle? Oh, Record Breakers, Dedication. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So those are the two most inspirational songs that exist, I think. I, the Muppet think theme that, and the theme to Record Breakers. Yeah. I think that says an awful lot about the podcast lineup for tonight, that <laughs> we've got two people like, yeah, the Muppets, and two of us like, Record Breakers. Yeah. <laughs> Both excellent shows. So yeah. is it that you have a problem with inspirational people or people that claim to be inspirational? The claim to be inspirational, I suppose. Okay. I mean, I, I accept there are inspirational people, but the overuse of the word inspirational let's put it like that yes i think if you are putting yourself out there as someone who is inspirational you've already got your back up a little bit thinking well are you though it's yeah. kind of people who say be kind they never are are they they're always the least kind people the people who write be kind everywhere yes hashtag be kind and then they yeah. say the worst thing it's like <laughs> when people say no offense but and then say <laughs> the most offensive offense. thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know it reminds me of an old friend of mine from ilford he's an actor he used to do a character who was a business guru and the character's like massively over the top and terrible advice. And he would wear like a headset and come out on stage at big business conferences with two girls, you know, like showgirls leading him on and everything. It was everything that a business guru shouldn't be. And 90% of people who booked him booked him as a spoof character, which is what he was. And every so often people would see that he was inspirational and it introduce him to really teach them how to, you know, progress their sales and all of that. <laughs> That's brilliant. I've always thought it weird when you see people buying self-help books that they haven't written themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Hilary, how about you? What's the matter, Bubbler? Oh, gosh. Again, I, I think my life since I moved on to boats just become really mundane and base. So basically, if you live on a boat, there's all kinds of different types of toilets. But most boats have toilets which go into tanks. So they don't go into the sewers because obviously you've got water underneath you and it wouldn't be very nice for the fishes if it was released into the water so you have a big tank which is actually under my daughter's bed but she doesn't know that and um, every kind of couple of weeks or so you have to empty the poo tank by pumping it out and the little gauge in the bathroom tells you when it needs emptying and my major preoccupation at the moment is the fact that our gauge has broken so we don't know when to empty it so I just have you know worries every day every time I flush the toilet I'm worried that, that it's going to be like leaking so your daughter doesn't know that the poo tank is under her bed yet you no. often play hide and seek with her where <laughs> under the bed would be an obvious choice the beds are, are kind of built on a platform so you have to literally, I mean, my bed is really high off the ground and so is hers. You would never know if there was anything underneath there. That's because the gauge isn't working. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to ask, but aren't there other subtle clues that it needs emptying? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't like somebody at some stage say, I don't want to say anything, but I think it needs emptying. There's a steady progression of people saying, give it three minutes. Give it three minutes. <laughs> give it three minutes. Give it seven minutes. I'd give it a week. I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean this conversation to become a discussion of poo. I'm sorry. No, it's fascinating. And it's so Jewish to be like really yeah. interested in what happens with anything to do with your yeah. bodily functions. Yeah. But also you started that answer by saying that life's become very mundane since living on a boat when actually it sounds like the most fantastic place to live yeah it is um, and and the best thing about living on a boat is we, we live in a marina and there's a fantastic community and all kinds of really interesting people different ages from different walks of life lots of creative people artists and writers and actors and all kinds of people it's just great and everyone's very friendly but it's also really nice because I'm 
kind of living back in the East End. And I've started discovering there are little Jewish enclaves now. So I yesterday discovered that there's a vegan kosher restaurant literally next to the marina, which has just opened. So we went and checked that out. And they're going to make cupcakes on Sunday mornings. And I've been told there's another little kid who's Jewish who's coming along. And I go to the bakery called Rinkoffs, which is about a 20 minute walk away in Stepney, which has been there since I think 1911. And my very famous. Yes. And my granddad grew up in Stepney. So he probably would have gone there in like the 1920s so this is the best area and it is kind of strange like my daughter's like the only Jewish child in the school in fact she went to another school when we first got here and they said to me we've never had a Jewish child before which I just thought was so amazing given where it is you know because I think it used to be like a hundred thousand Jews in this area mm-hmm. and now there's like you know me and Stephen Burkhoff so <laughs> I'd have worked with him before he got on your boat I'll tell you that so. I've only met Stephen Burkhoff once I'd be far too nervous to ask him to poo somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> I went round there for tea and it was um his flat is absolutely incredible. But yeah, he's he's quite scary in a nice <laughs> <laughs> As a Jewish mother, whenever I see anybody, my first thought is, have you eaten yet? But I'm also really interested to hear your own memories of Jewish food or something that happened at a meal with Jews. So, Hilary, what about you? Well, I had some Jewish food yesterday. I had some Sephardi Jewish food, which was very nice. Um, I grew up with Ashkenazi food, most of which I couldn't eat. My teenage rebellion was to, one, become more from than my parents, and two, to become vegetarian, because they couldn't really criticise me for either. I had principles, and I was just doing what they brought me up to do but better so it was really annoyed them and but it meant that I couldn't really enjoy any of the food that my mum cooked but I do remember the lokshan pudding that's one thing I really do miss and I really need to learn how to make it myself because that you know that's a great Jewish dish. Hilary you skimmed past the fact that you'd had lovely Sephardi food yesterday as yeah. if you don't think I want the details of everything you ate. <laughs> we had fermented lemon soup which was lovely. Oh, that sounds yum. There was a salad with kind of dehydrated onions and beetroots and what's it called? Zatar? Zatar, yeah. And lots of um, tahini and stuff. And then I had a stuffed aubergine with tahini and various vegetables and kind of seeds and things. So it was very, it was all very nice. Really good. Vegan and kosher. It was quite an interesting combination. Yeah, because I thought, I said to her, aren't all vegan restaurants kosher? And she said, no, she's had to really modify what she does because everything's got to be supervising, like even in all the kind of herbs. Oh, she'd have to put a bit of meat in to make it like all the kosher. <laughs> <laughs> like a bit of salt beef. I mean, we're vegan, but we're kosher. So, do you want the, do you want the kosher menu, sir? I think it's to do with having insects and things on the leaves, and yeah, the checking of the leaves yeah. and yeah. the checking of berries. That's yeah. become very big. I remember when I spent a brief amount of time in a seminary. It wasn't for me. And <laughs> one of the lectures that we went to was about particular bugs that you find on fruit and vegetables, which has suddenly become a massive big deal because the rabbis in our ancestry and history weren't so fussed. They gave it a good old wash and then it went on the table. And I remember that they had these light boxes that you put flat on the table yeah. and then they shook out some really filthy lettuce over this light box to show us what kind of creepy crawlies were there and what I remember specifically about it because it felt so weird was that they said there are these insects on lettuce called thrips and they are the exact length and size of the eye on a dollar bill and then they got out like a dollar bill and they put one of these insects next to it to show us that that is the size of the insects exactly like the eye on the dollar bill and I thought that was just bizarrely specific (laughs) 
the other thing that happened about maybe about 10 years ago is it became really popular to wash your soft fruit with some kind of washing up liquid. The brilliant Deborah Tammer, whose show Mancunian Rhapsody I worked on and directed, she plays her character Rifki, who was a very religious lady. And she had a whole scene where she was literally shaking a plastic box full of blueberries with water and a bit of washing up liquid the whole time through the scene. And it was very, very funny. I sometimes do imagine like the great rabbis of the past who lectured on the rules of being kosher, looking down on all this stuff and going, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Alistair, what about you? What are your memories connected to Jews and food? Jewish food became quite a big part of my life a few years back because I toured a solo show. It's where I got my taste for the fringe. And it was called Much Ado About Notting. Uh, <laughs> and it was, about, it was about Jews' books and food. And it started with a series of book covers that you may not have heard of, like Farfall the Madding Crown <laughs> and Fress of the D'Urbervilles and, and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows <laughs> and the Unbearable Lapkas of Being for the Intellectuals. And we had somebody who'd actually made these look like the original book covers, which really looked very authentic. And that, this was the kind of the whole show. So I read a lot of stuff about Jews and food because mostly the show was just reading out passages about Jews and food. Um, so, so that became my life for, for quite a while, and, and it, it, it kind of had great moments. It really did take me to some really interesting places on the fringe. I spent a week in Edinburgh. It's absolutely fantastic. I was in a cellar in a cafe in, Ed in Edinburgh immediately after a guy who had a 40-minute rhymed monologue about the evils of capitalism and was always very upset that the Jews got more of an audience than he did. And that's my kind of most Jewish thing in terms of food. And for me, the kind of ultimate moment was obviously the one where it bombed, which happened in North London. It was the only performance I gave in North London because somebody had said, oh, I know something Jewish is happening. And they'd sent me along. And when I turned up, it appeared to be what, what I grew up knowing as a friendship club, like old people get together. I mean, a friendship club? Does anybody else, does any Jews have friendship clubs? Anyway, so my grandma was always going to friendship clubs. And I arrive and the, an elderly guy comes up to me and says, are you the comedian? I said, well, I'm not a comedian. I've, I've got a show. He says, well, we booked a comedian. I said, well, I'm not a comedian. He said, well, is it funny? As well, it's kind of, you know, bittersweet. And I could tell this was going to be like a difficult evening. And it got worse and didn't really get any better because I was introduced by somebody who I had known years and years ago, I think I'd been at school with, who was involved in the organisation somewhere. And after he'd done the bit about the trip next week to Bournemouth is this, and if you haven't bought your tickets to the raffle yet, this, 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 he said, and now he said, I'm going to hand over to Alistair. He said, which is surprising because I've known Alistair for over 40 years, and I never thought he was funny. <laughs> but there you go. How did it go? Very badly. They didn't find it funny at all, and it was quite clear it was a friendship club for friendships yet to happen, because basically <laughs> it was like a dating club for the over 75s. So people were kind of eyeing each other up. Now, the tables had numbers on them, so I knew things were going badly when the lady on table number eight got <laughs> hold of her table number and took out the bar in the middle. So it just said zero and held it up. <laughs> they should really be called hostile clubs rather than friendship clubs, in my experience. I did pantomime years ago. I, I played the comic yeah. idiot in Aladdin. And one of the things I had to do was come out on stage and say, wishy, washy, wishy. And then the audience had to reply, we all think you're dishy. That was it. <laughs> and, I know, it's brilliant. And there was a school show because that's what happens. We were in Tewkesbury, beautiful theatre in Tewkesbury, most famous for being where Eric Morecambe died. But now more famous you for this story. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was a school show. I think it was nine o'clock in the morning. Everyone's exhausted. No one really wanted to do the show. The audience definitely didn't want to be there. And at one point I went out and said, wishy washy wishy and this one kid just went we all think you're 
<laughs> I've had some pretty bad school trips. My favourite school trip from Carmel was taking a group of about 15 kids to London for the day. And we go to the theatre, which was absolutely disastrous. It was about the Russian Revolution. At one point, the cast are going around handing out pamphlets saying, thousands dying every day on the Russian front. And my group of Carmel College kids that were sitting on the front row, one of them takes this, looks at it, turns to the actor and says, there are 15 of us here dying of boredom. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> wow. Oi, what could be more Jewish than interrupting our own show to remind you that back episodes of the podcast are available on all the usual platforms, as well as our own website, jewtalkingtome.com. And don't forget to like, share, subscribe and leave a lovely review. It's what your mother would want. And in response to overwhelming audience suggestions, next week we're going to be launching our new Patreon, which gives you the chance to be a mensch and support the show. In return for that, we'll be producing regular bonus video and audio content exclusively for our subscribers. But what would you like to see? Tell us all about it on social media using the hashtag longoverdue at Jew Talking Without the G. And now back to the show. I mean, it sounds like that is the kind of situation that could definitely lead to a broigus. We often think about the broiguses that affect us. And one of the most famous ones, obviously, as Jews, is whether we say bagel or bagel. And Hillary, maybe this is relevant to you now living near Stepney and hearing those kinds of words in the cafes that you're going into. But we want to know whether you have favourite feuds that you'd like to share with us please. Philip, before you, before you focus oh. on Hillary, I would just like to point out that the reason Philip was being so cagey about that is because a couple of days ago, I sent him a clip of the Hairy Bikers show on television, oh, yeah. where they talked <laughs> about the history of Bagel and Bigel. Oh. And they said that Londoners, particularly around the East End, do indeed call it Bigel. That is our cultural appropriate term. Mm. And it's only a Northern and American thing to say bagel i go into to rinkoffs and i ask for bagels and they give me bagels so they, they just speak american that's why they've learned to <laughs> translate Henry, i'm with you yeah it, look it yeah. is bagel i'm not sure what this argument's about it's <laughs> not bagel it's bagel you're northern that's why you're saying that and also you're all wrong i'm southern i'm wrong I'm well wrong. before this turns into a big feud because i wouldn't say i was being cagey but it's always nice to get an acting note <laughs> as you're performing live on a podcast but before it becomes a progress, Hillary, would you like to share any feuds that you know about with us? I can't really think of anything for, I'm really sorry to ruin the podcast. Well, you're, you're trying to persuade us that you've not argued about oh. who's going to empty the poo tank, even though you can't see. <laughs> where the like Stephen Burkhoff, you've definitely had a progress. Come on. Uh, no, I, I'm. I'm just. You know, I'm just such an easygoing person that. No, I usually I write articles that get death threats, but in in person, I do, I generally don't tend to fall out with people except for when I write controversial things. I really can't think of anything. I'm just clearly, you know, I need to up my game a bit. Is there something you've written where you've received a death threat where you've thought really for that? Because I wrote that last week, but you didn't care about that. But this is the hill you're going to die on. Uh, is that? It doesn't have to be a death threat. Can I just interject? I've, I've had some great comments on my articles. I wrote an article. At, this has kind of got a Jewish theme to it about hating my Jewish nose, basically. Hating having a big nose. And one of the comments was, well, there's nothing wrong with your nose, but your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
<laughs> and I had an article where I was there with my partner in a photograph and people, somebody said, your partner looks like a half melted Martin Kemp waxwork, which I thought wow. was really quite good. Half melted. Yeah. I mean, somebody has to have that image in their mind before they even. Yeah, it's like they've gone to Madame Two Swords and they've sort of set it on fire and watched it. I kind of like the creativity of that though. Yeah. No, some people are very inventive. You know, they're not all trolls. Some people are quite clever. I had an insult on a TikTok video I did that made me laugh so much. I put a joke up. I can't remember what it was now, but the comment someone put was, it's like stand up by the shadow minister for agriculture. <laughs> I wasn't even good enough to have made it into the cabinet. I was the shadow cabinet <laughs> minister. For ag it was such a specific insult. That is quite, yeah. Alistair, how about you? Do you have a brogus you'd comfortably well, share with us? In my very first teaching job, which was in Carmel College, actually, we took a school trip to the National Theatre. And on the way back, we lost a teacher. Not a kid. We had all of them. We got them all back on the bus. That was fine. But a teacher had disappeared. And not just any teacher, it was a new teacher, an Israeli teacher, Shalia, and we couldn't find him. But how long can you wait? You've got to get the kids back. So he was an adult. He knows what he's doing. It was before mobiles. Right? So we managed to find a phone and we called his wife to ask had he called. And she got then terrified and convinced that he'd been actually kidnapped because, you know, he's Israeli and London is their first time. Anyway, the next morning he arrives back in school, by which time everybody knows Mr. Fleischman got lost on the school trip. And he comes up to me in the staff room and he says to me, why you do this to me? And to this day, I regret that I said to him, joking, hoping to lighten the atmosphere. Well, it's an old English custom. We always leave a teacher behind on their first school trip. OK, so <laughs> he was he was two years in Carmel College. And we then went to live in Israel for three years. At the end of the three years, so this is five years later, we decide we'll go and visit some people. And one of the people we go and visit is this family. And they live just outside Tel Aviv. We go and visit them. He says, it's a lovely day. Let's go to the beach. He says, follow me in my car. So we all get in the car. We follow him down to the beach, have a fantastic time. And then we look around, ready to go. And we see that he's already nicked out, got back in his car and driven back a completely different route, obviously, <laughs> in the hope that now I will be the person who will get lost. I don't have many kind of super traits, despite the super, but one of them is I've got kind of a bit of a photographic memory for roots. And we arrive back at the house before he does, because he's taken the whole <laughs> way around. Can't lose it. And I mean, the guy's waited five years. You know, what's been eating him up for five years just for the opportunity to kind of get his own back just for being left behind. So that's what I call taking a Bruegger serious. Oh, it really is. I really admire someone who plays the long game like that. <laughs> the long game. Yeah. How, how did he react when he saw that you were there before him? Not happy. <laughs> Well, we've actually all got lots in common. So, for example, Hillary, I used to be friends with your brother from Bnei Kiva, and I met him through his friends who were my friends, but they became my cousins when I got married. And Alistair, you and I go back a very, very long way. But you and Philip actually have a connection you might not be aware of because you did your Edinburgh shows in exactly the same room. You were both in Cafe Roma in their basement downstairs. Yeah, that oh, was great. And I saw both of your shows, by the way. So I experienced seeing your shows in that space. But if we think about the idea of six degrees of can't eat bacon, other than the three of us, who is your most interesting personal Jewish connection? Hillary. As I said earlier, I went to Stephen Burkhoff's for tea when I first moved here. And uh, I think I emailed him afterwards and he ignored my email and he's never invited me back. So I don't think I made a very good impression. Indeed. As a Brogus. <laughs> I really don't want to get into a Brogus with Stephen Burkhoff. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And Alistair, what about you? My wife's great-grandfather played the piccolo before the Emperor Franz Joseph, and her grandfather marched into Jerusalem with Allenby. So that's like her yuckus. But otherwise, it's slightly complicated. So I have a picture on my wall of a lady who is both simultaneously my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother. That sounds very confusing. So the way it works is actually it's my grandparents were uncle and niece. So this lady is my grandfather's mother and my grandmother's grandmother. Yeah. So this is legal in Jewish law and saves hugely on birthday cards, which was the main reason. But it wasn't legal at the time in Edinburgh where they lived. But according to Jewish law, an uncle may marry a niece, but you can't have the other way around. Aunt can't marry a nephew, somewhat bizarrely. So they went to America to get married. One of the few places in the States that allowed uncle and niece marriage was Rhode Island. So they went to Rhode Island, got married, and then they went to Shawnee, Oklahoma, which is where my father was born. So I thought Shawnee, Oklahoma is probably going to give a really interesting Jewish connection. So I googled famous people born in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and one of those was Brad Pitt. So you think that's good, but then in August 2015, I did a bit more googling, the Jewish Chronicle ran an article called, How Jewish is Brad Pitt? And I thought I was in here. This is going to be great. And actually the killer line that they gave was the fact he wasn't very Jewish because, quote, Pitt was born in Shawnee, Oklahoma. He's one of the least Jewish towns in the USA. So, there you go. Wow. Suddenly, knowing the specific size of a bug in relation to a dollar note doesn't seem as weird in Jewish law. <laughs> okay, for your uncle to marry your niece, but not your aunt to marry your nephew. An aunt marrying a nephew, that's immoral and just unhuman. Wow. An uncle and what a was niece. the age difference between them? Uh, very little. One was the youngest and one was the eldest, yeah. Yeah, there's very little age difference between them. It <laughs> does make the family tree a little complicated. I what? would say it makes your family tree a little bit simpler. There's fewer names. Yeah, I mean, there are people who argue make the family a bit simpler, but that's <laughs> the whole other argument. But let's face it, we're probably all related, probably all kind of second cousins or third cousins. I mean, everybody on Ancestry seems to be my third cousin. Have we I... all got to move to Oklahoma? <laughs> <laughs> well, it would make it the most Jewish town in rather than the least, so that would be good. (laughs) Well, people often fantasise about what life might be like if they could do something completely different. So in this section of the show, which we've called Old Dog, New Shtick, if you woke up tomorrow with your dream job, what would it be? Alistair. So I'm going to start with a story which is not mine, because it is my favourite interview question ever. I generally once heard the Dalai Lama being asked the following question. Your Supreme Holiness... If you had not been reincarnated as God, what would you like to have been? (laughs) What what are you going to say? So all I could say on the basis of that is in the midst of doing everything I'm involved in, I would like to have definitely been a successful, with the accent on successful, festival promoter. He's God. (laughs) From your mouth to the Dalai Lamas. But this is something you're pursuing at the moment as well. This isn't just a pipe dream. You're you're doing it. with. Well, I'm doing it, but like the successful bit is, you know, not impoverished. Or a profit-making, a profit-making festival promoter. Let's put it like, that's what I'd like to be. <laughs> Not a loss-making one. But it is absolutely, yeah, this is a bit of a dream coming true. Hilary, how about you? If you weren't a writer, journalist, Jufro ambassador, what would you be? <laughs> I would really love to be in musical theatre. I love musical theatre, which is also a very Jewish thing, of course, because most musical theatre is written by Jews. I don't have the talent. I can sing a little bit, but I can't dance and I can't really act. So I wouldn't be very good. But I just absolutely love going to musicals. You know, I'm in my element and I do a bit of karaoke because that's my stress relief. That's how I get all my stress out. But yeah, that's what I would do. I'd be a musical theatre star. I'm going to make you an offer because if you can't sing and you can't dance, I'm running a fringe festival. You're like, like the first. Perfect act from what I've seen so far. 
<laughs> you are looking to make that fringe a success and profitable, yeah. however. We've yeah. been told that. You know, we might get Stephen Burke off a lot, which would be a big plus for us, even well, if he never came back. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm literally next to the marina. We've got Stephen Burkov, Ian McKellen. He owns the pub at the end of the road. I mean, there's a real pedigree of actors here if you want to come and get some. We need to just come and lurk around your your area. Yes. Yeah. Could we wait till the gauge is fixed? That would just be my <laughs> Hilary, do you have a favourite musical? I love all of them. Probably The Sound of Music, I think, has got to be my all-time favourite. Yeah. What's your dream role? Well, Maria, I guess. <laughs> nice, nice Catholic girl. <laughs> Catholic Maria. girls and Jewish girls are very similar. Exactly. Yeah. We love to know whether our guests have a favourite Jewish, Hebrew, or Yiddish expression, or as we call it, Jewelingo. So, Alistair, how about you? I actually chose the word goyish. So, I love that expression from Lenny Bruce. I don't know if you heard that riff on Jewish mm. and goyish. To that whole kind of, oh, that's so goyish. I just love the way it dismisses all of world culture in one small word. Just kind of gone like that. Ah, that's so goyish. Doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> so that's always been a great word. And I do think the Lenny Bruce Jewish and goyish, by the way, is probably, if you don't know it, uh, it's time for a bit of a revamp as well. And I'd start by saying just, you know, Coca-Cola is Jewish, but Pepsi-Cola is goyish. And that's so true. And I don't really know why. Yeah, but... it's just true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Diet Coke, extra yeah. Jewish. Like fish balls are Jewish and sushi is goish. I love sushi though. <laughs> Jews and sushi, it's real and it's deep. That's a, that's a special relationship. Hilary, do you have a favourite one? I just love the fact that there are so many Yiddish words that you can't put into any other language, that you can't translate properly. One of my favourites is the klempt, which means kind of totally overcome with emotion. It just encapsulates so much and it's just such a great sounding word. I was really lucky because when I was prepping my show Hineni for Edinburgh a couple of years ago, I got to be the support act for Tony Slattery, super famous <laughs> improviser, brilliant actor. And I didn't know what he would make of my super Jewish show. And at the end of it, he came up and spoke to me about it. And he actually gave me a quote for my poster. There's a whole section in it about Nachas, like Jewish Mother's Pride. And this is what he said to me. Never mind the Nachas. I love that your brain is so fakukta. And that's coming from me, a Fagler. <laughs> That's very cute. And he told me he's lived in Edgware for like so long. He's picked up all these Yiddish expressions. And uh, he told me I was allowed to use that. So I was possibly the only act in Edinburgh 2019 where my poster quote was Tony Slattery speaking Yiddish. Well, that's nearly all we've got time for. But how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call, you don't write? Normally, we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this. But for you, 30. Alistair. I mentioned it before. I'm currently putting together what may well be the world's first Jewish fringe. Our strapline is, if it's Jewish enough for you, it's Jewish enough for us. We're looking at categories of theatre, comedy, music, family, and on the other hand. So check us out at Sitsit Fringe, T-S-I-T-S-I-T -S -S Fringe. We look forward to having you as part of the world's first Jewish Fringe Festival happening across the UK in October this year. Hilary, how about you? I think a, a couple of my books might still be in print. It's been a while <laughs> since the last one came out. I, I mean, having children does not um, is not conducive to writing novels, I have to say, when you're also working. I'm working on a book for grown-ups at the moment, which hopefully will come out in the next couple of years. And if you want to write to me with your problems, I'm currently part of the Dear Deirdre team at The Sun. So if you have any any issues you need help with, I'm happy to help you there. Well, I've absolutely 
love this. And from now on, I'll always think of Alistair as the Jew whose family tree is shaped like a concertina and <laughs> Hillary as the Jew whose poo tank is about to explode. <laughs> and as my grandmother used to say when she wanted to end my telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to me and you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing. As Sadly, we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, Hilary Freeman and Alistair Falk. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share with everyone you know. And join us next time on Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Balkin. It's so humid in here that since we began, my hair has got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, the whole screen now. Hillary, is there a product you could recommend? <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly it's not doing very well tonight. <laughs>